We've had a wonderful uh, tribute uh, to fathers already. Uh, but you're going to hear something very, very special for a few, for several minutes here this morning. And um, many of you know uh, Dennis and Carrie Millman. Uh, Carrie and Dennis have been members here for many, many years. Uh, Carrie has a very, very significant story to tell us today. Very, very personal. And I'm going to invite Carrie to come. And I want us just to be praying for her as uh, she shares this this morning with you. And uh, pray for the Lord's anointing upon her. And just pray that your hearts will be touched. God bless you, Carrie. Yeah. Oh, this. There you go. Thank you. Um, as Pastor Brian said, I've been at this church since I was 11 years old. It's been a long time. And many of you know me, and some of you know my story, and some of you know bits and pieces of my story. But I'm going to share some things that are probably very hard to hear. And to be honest, some of it's very hard to tell. But it's my story. I was a very much an unwanted pregnancy and an unwanted child. As a matter of fact, from the moment I was born, my mother phoned my aunt and said, come to the hospital. My aunt came, my mother handed her over to me, her, me over to her and said, here you go. You name her, you take her, you do whatever you want with her. My aunt took me home and raised me with her and her children until I was almost four. At which time, my mother decided that she wanted me back. So my grandma and myself, grandma packed me up and we moved from London, Ontario to Winnipeg to live with a person I had never met in a city I had never been to and left everything that I had known behind. My mother was a very, very angry and bitter woman and I was the source of her anger. She hated me with every fiber of her being and there wasn't a moment that went by on any given day that I didn't get notice of that anger. It didn't matter what I did or how I did it. If I played too loudly, I got beaten. If I played too quietly, then I was ignoring her. If I played outside, I should be inside. If I was inside, I should be outside. It didn't matter. It was the fact that I was. And I went on a daily basis with having a new bruise or a new welt, anywhere from my shoulders to the top of my knees, because that's where you could cover them. One of the things my mother liked to do the most is to get my attention, is to take her lit cigarette and burn it into my arm if I wasn't paying attention. I may have been the only child in Winnipeg that wore long sleeves all year round in the heat of the summer just to be covered up. But as much as my mother hated me, my grandma loved me. Grandma and I went to Beulah Nazarene in Winnipeg. That's where I learned how much God loved me. I had people there who loved me just for me. I didn't have to be perfect, I just had to be me. And that was good enough. And if the doors were open, Grandma and I were at church. And if the doors weren't open, we opened the doors and we went to church. <laughs> we did Sunday school and Sunday mornings and evening services and prayer meetings and VBS and choir practices. And I learned to play piano and sang in children's choirs. And I have many memories of sitting in missionary meetings, rolling bandages for missions around the world. 
But as much as Grandma loved me and Grandma taught me how much God loved me, Grandma showed me how much God loved me. My grandma was the godliest, most caring, loving, selfless person I have ever met. And she truly was Jesus with skin on. See, because as much as my mother beat me, my grandma stood in my mother's way and took the beatings first. Grandma hardly went by a day without a new bruise because she stood there first and knew that if my mother ever got a hold of me in one of her absolute rages, she'd kill me. And she tried several times. Fractured skull, broken back, broken ribs, weeks in a hospital. Yeah, I had it all. But I had grandma, and I had God. And that's all this little girl needed. Well, almost all. See, what I didn't have was a dad. And what I wanted was a dad. Because I thought maybe if I had a dad, Maybe my dad could love me. Maybe I'd be lovable. And my dad could take me to the park or buy me ice cream or watch me in a children's program or beam with pride or encourage me with something. But I learned very quickly not to ask about my dad because that brought about more pain than this little girl could endure. So I prayed. Every day this little girl prayed, could I please have a dad someday? Please, God, could I meet my dad? Could I be lovable to my dad? When I was 11, Grandma and I and my mother moved out to Calgary, and Grandma and I came here and continued to learn how much God loved you and how much people loved you and just accepted you the way you were. When I was 13, my life changed forever. I was a cheerleader at school. I came home with my new uniform on, and I was so proud of myself. And I thought, for sure, Grandma would be proud of me. Grandma wasn't home. My mother was. She took a picture. And I don't know whether or not I decided because I was 13 and I was a smart-aleck 13-year-old or I was just so proud of myself, I was going to start asking some questions. So I started asking questions. Who's my dad? Where'd you meet him? What happened to him? And she got angry. And the angrier she got, the more I asked. And in a matter of minutes, I was a pummeled, beaten mess on the floor. But it was the happiest day of my life. I had a busted face and a fat lip and blood pouring down on me. And I was ecstatically happy. Because in my mother's rage, she yelled my father's name. This was no longer just a person that I could imagine in my head. This person had a name. This person was real. And I had a dad. But in the midst of her rage, when she yelled his name at me, she also said these words. He ruined my life. I hate him, and I hate you. And no truer words were ever spoken. She did, and she meant every single one of them. Years went by, and Dennis and I got married, and our first daughter was born, and I took her baby book out, and in the family tree, I wrote down my dad's name as her grandfather. She was going to have a grandfather. She may never meet him. I may never know who he is. But she's going to have a grandfather. And we're going to have a connection to that. And over the course of time, Dennis and I talked often about how could I ever meet him? How could I find him? All I had was a name. 
We thought, could we hire a private investigator? Could we send a story to the news station? Could somebody find him? But with only a name, there's nothing to go on. For my 55th birthday, I decided that I would take a DNA test, thinking that, well, I knew who my mother and grandmother's side of the family was, this Dutch and German side, but I had no idea what my father may have given me. So we sent off for a DNA test, and as Dennis and I were waiting for the results to come back, Dennis said, maybe we'll find your dad. And I laughed, and I said, no, no, my mother's dead and gone, and she never mentioned him to me ever again. So the results came back, and I found out I'm Irish. Who knew? <laughs> and I found a few distant cousins and some names that came up that I had never recognized and had no idea how to put them together. And said, well, that was fun. Let's move on. But July 27th, last year, I got an email from Ancestry. And I opened up that email. And this popped up on my screen. Don Stevens is your father. The name my mother beat into me so many years ago was staring back at me. For those of you who know me, you know I'm never speechless. That was a very quiet half hour. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I, I kept staring at it going, this is, what, this is what I've asked for. Now what do I do? How do I, how do I reach this person? What if this person doesn't want me? What if they... What if they don't answer the email? So I fired off an email and said, hey, we might be related. I said, this is who I am. This is when I was born. This is my mother's name. Is there a chance that I'm your daughter? And then I fired off an email to our small group and said, pray. This is the prayer that I've been praying since I was four years old. It may actually come true. A couple days later, I got an email back. Yeah, we could be related. I remember your mother. And I'm thrilled to have another daughter. So over a course of a few days, we exchanged some emails and some stories and made some phone calls. I was like, wow, I have a dad. And, and he actually wants me. Can't imagine. <laughs> So last October, Dennis and I hopped on a plane and went to Ontario and met my dad for the first time. And he opened his heart and his home and his life as wide as he possibly could. I met siblings, I have six of them, aunts and uncles and cousins and nieces and nephews. In Christmas time, he came and visited. We've gone down since. And over the last several months, I found out what it's like to be loved by a parent, to have a dad that loves you. So today, when Jen was asking the kids, what do you like to do with your dad? I can remember sitting there thinking I hated that question when I was a kid, because I never had an answer. I didn't have a dad. I didn't even have a dad figure. I didn't have anybody but a mother that hated me and a grandma that loved me beyond belief. But I can stand here today and say, you know what? My dad and I, we've done walks in the park, and he's bought me ice cream. And we've laughed, and we've told stories, and shed a few tears. And he's cheered me on and beamed with pride when he watched me run a half marathon. That's what I have now. 
I have a dad. But today is Father's Day. And for the first time in my life, I get to celebrate Father's Day with my dad. And it may be the best Father's Day I ever have. Because I will remember it forever. So to my church family, for those of you who know me and love me and have encouraged me and prayed for me for oh so many years, I would like you like to introduce you to my answered prayer. 56 years in the making, my dad, Don Stevens. Thank you please be seated well I just want to say Carrie thank you for what you shared today it's a courage I know that and obedience in doing what our Heavenly Father wanted you to do and a pleasure to meet you Don you're among friends here today good to have you here okay so Anyone um, who has ever run a marathon, I think some of you have done that, maybe run a half marathon, or maybe you got it in your mind one day that you were going to lose weight and get fit, uh, and you did it, or maybe uh, somebody who wanted to run for political office, and so they did. They went out and campaigned and got elected, uh, or maybe stood on the Olympic um, podium to receive a medal. Anybody who's done that was inspired by a vision, was uh, inspired by a dream. And being inspired by this dream, this vision of a future reality gave them discipline and caused them to change their day-to-day behaviors in order that they might achieve that goal. Well, God knows that we as human beings are created that way, to to move towards a goal, towards a dream or a vision. We are that way. Because God knows that because He created us. He knows how we're made. And He knows that we need a compelling vision of the future to keep us on the straight and narrow path of faith. Um, We're not stoic. We don't just tough it out during the difficult times in life. But what we do as Christians is we keep our eye on the goal that God has set before us. And the Apostle Peter wrote two letters to the Christians of his day. First Peter, second Peter we call it. And in the first letter, um, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reminds the Christians of his day That even though you're suffering, even though life gets really, really tough, hold on, keep your eyes on that day in the future when your Lord Jesus Christ is going to one day be revealed for who He really is. He would no longer just be the Jesus on the cross, but He would now not just be the Lamb, but He would be the Lion of Judah. And He will be revealed in all of His glory 
as the exalted Christ. And we will see him as he is and we'll be transformed into his likeness. He says, keep your hope fixed on that day. When the going gets tough, where do you need to be looking? Don't look down. Look up and keep your gaze fixed on him and on that day. And so that's really what 1 Peter, especially chapter 1, is all about. And so I want to just have us look at this, and I'm just going to read this. This is found in the Passion Translation. You can find it on Bible Gateway, by the way, online. I, I love this translation of this passage. He says, so then, because of this uh, hope that we have, that one day we are going to be reunited with Christ, we're going to see Him as He is, and we're going to, our salvation will be complete. He says, prepare your hearts and your minds for action. Stay alert and fix your hope firmly on the marvelous grace that is coming to you. For when Jesus Christ is unveiled, a greater measure of grace will be released to you. As God's obedient children, never again shape your lives by the desires you followed when you didn't know better. Instead, shape your lives to become like the Holy One who called you. For Scripture says, God says, you are to be holy because I am holy. Now, that last part, God says, be holy for I am holy. Hi, Adele. I haven't seen you in years. Wow. I had to say that just to get it off my mind. Okay. You can go and meet Adele later. Okay. For a lot of people, the idea of being holy, the idea of holiness conjures up musty images of uh, old-time revival meetings, old-time religion, gospel trios, and sometimes accompanied by stern prohibitions against drinking, dancing, playing cards, or having fun of any kind. That's the idea a lot of people get. Like, holy? I, I don't want that. They just have the wrong idea. But holiness in the Bible is not primarily, not first of all, about behavior. It does include behavior. But it doesn't start there. The word holy, and you'll see this here, um, the, the Hebrew word is kadesh, uh, kadosh, and the Greek word is hagios. And those words actually mean to be set apart and dedicated to God. Did you know that when you became a Christian, that you were set apart? For God. The word saint, you know, we think that, that saint is a, is a, uh, a word for a, a super Christian. You know, Saint Augustine, you know, Saint Teresa or whatever, you know, and we think that means super Christian. No, no, the word saint just refers to any believer. So you could embrace yourself and say, I am a saint because God has set me apart. Now, here's the interesting thing is when you say, I am a saint, I am one of God's holy ones. I've been, I'm dedicated to God. You know when we dedicate the baby to God? We give the baby to God. We give ourselves to God. We are no longer our own. We belong to God, so let's be holy. Because we're not our own. We belong to Him. It's not my life to live. It's His life through me that I am supposed to live. I'm a saint. And you know what? When you say I'm a saint and you really get that, guess what? It gives you something to live up to. You know, I, I, I like how one person said it. You know, we often say, you know, I'm a, I'm a sinner. Or we go, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Christians 
aren't perfect, just forgiven. You know, that kind of almost gives us something to live down to. Don't ever say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You could say, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and we certainly are. But I'm also a saint who sometimes sins. I am a saint. Get that image. Let the Holy Spirit burn that in your heart that you are called and set apart for God. And here's what it is. You are called and set apart by God for a purpose. God created you, and then he redeemed you through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He has set you apart, and he paid a very, very dear price for your salvation, for your redemption. And he's saying, now I want you to spend the rest of your life living up to that. Um, Be holy, God says, because I'm holy. So this idea of being set apart... In the Bible, we see that the Sabbath day is set apart. The seventh day is set apart, day of rest, right? It's set apart. It's not like the other six days. It's set apart. It's special. Uh, the tithe, when, when people gave the 10% of, of their earnings to the Lord, the tithe was set apart. You see, that's not yours. That belongs to God. It's devoted to God. It's special. Um, the priests in the Old Testament, the Levitical priests, they were set apart from the rest of the people for special service and ministry in the tabernacle. Um, so here's an interesting thing. Uh, a bride, a woman, when she gets married, she has her beautiful white wedding dress. That dress is not common. It's set apart. And a woman typically wears that dress typically one time. It's set apart. It's holy. It's special. It's unique. Did you know that you are set apart by God in this world to be holy? This Bible, take a look at it. Now, you know you can buy jeans today that actually have holes and stuff in them, you know? Alyssa, did you know that? Where's Alyssa? Anyway, um, our youth pastor. Okay. Uh, anyway, yes, you can buy jeans that actually already are tattered and torn. Uh, I did not buy this Bible this way. This Bible at one time was pristine. It was unbelievable. It was perfect in every way. But here, Jonathan, just t- touch it. Doesn't that just feel good in the hand? Doesn't just... This is a well-worn Bible. Uh, this Bible for me is holy. For me. Because it is the, pretty much the only Bible that I use when I preach. It's the only Bible I use when I'm having my devotions and having my quiet time with God. It's the Bible I use and mark up when I'm memorizing Scripture. I I highlight it or I mark it in some way so I can look and see all the passages I've memorized. This Bible is holy for me. It's set apart. It's special. It's unique. It's not like any other book for me. I've got a lot of books in my library, but this is unlike any other book, and it's unlike any other Bible for me. It is unique, it's special, and it serves uh, just an amazing purpose in my life. If I lost this, um, you know, it it would be a hard day for me. It really would be. Um, But that's my Bible, and I have to thank Pearl Gregg, who's sitting here with her husband Robert, because she rebound it for me some years, and you did some fancy work on this, and uh, made it usable, because the pages are all falling out and everything, and uh, Thank you. I might need to have you do it again uh, at some point. Um, So, to be holy means we've been set apart for God. It means that I am no longer my own. I belong to God. 
And so I'm called to be holy. And if you don't remember anything else today, just this. I am not my own. I belong to God. And I'm called to be holy. Set apart to be useful to him. Have you ever thought of being holy as being useful? Because that's really the essence of what it means. That I'm in a place where I can be used by God to serve his purposes. And so holiness is about private morality. It is. But it's more than that. It means that we are to be distinct, to be different from everything and everyone else around us. Not weird, not really peculiar, just to stand out from the crowd as belonging to God. So that people, when, when they're in your presence, they go, there's something different about you. And that difference is like a fragrant aroma. And to some people, it might be the stench of death. That's what the Bible says. No, it really does say that, Second Corinthians. That was not a joke. Okay, but you know what? Here's the thing. It is, for some people, they will persecute you. They will persecute you because you're holy. And you will be like the stench of death, but for many, you'll be the fragrance of life, and they will be drawn to who you are, and they'll be drawn to your Christ. And so, here's the interesting thing. What I just said is that people will notice the difference and they'll be drawn. Think about that for a minute. Being holy is not just about being a trophy for God. It's not like, um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be holy and I'm going to be just pure and I'm going to just really live good and, and be pleasing to God and then I'm just going to hide away in my house because I don't want to get polluted by the world. You know, I'm just going to hide away or, you know, I'm going to become a hermit on a hill. Or I'm going I'm to move somewhere far, far away where I'm not going to be corrupted by the rest of society. That is not God's vision of a holy person. Now, for a period of time, God might call you to the desert. For a period of time, for a season, God might call you to leave and go somewhere like that. For maybe a week, a month, a year. But if he does do that, it's only so that he could send you back into the world so that you could let your light shine brightly, brilliantly, boldly um, with the people that you associate with. Um, I love this passage. This is found in 1 Peter chapter 2. It's the same book, same letter. And he says, you are God's chosen treasure. Everybody say, I am God's chosen treasure. Ready? I am God's chosen treasure. Set apart... And he says, he called you out of darkness. He did. Called you out of darkness to experience his light. And now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. God set you apart for a purpose so that you would proclaim his wonders his, and declare his praise. You know, I, I thought about this. I thought, you know, imagine um, an art collector, you know, and, and he buys this magnificent, rare um, work of art. And he spends a fortune on it. And he's got this prized piece of art. He goes home, he wraps it up, and he puts it in a closet, in a box. 
and there it stays. Can you imagine somebody doing that? I, yeah. But that would not be what you should do with a work of art. And you know, you are a work of art. And God does want to have you on display before the world, not to hide away. Jesus said, Let, do not hide your light, you know, under a box or under a bushel. You know, he says, put yourself up in a high place and let your light shine so that others will be drawn to that light. Because God wants you to be useful, to be useful. So he says, be holy because I am holy. And so, I'm going to skip a few slides here, Jeannie. In verses 15 and 16, he says, Just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. Notice, be holy because I am holy. God is holy because he's different from anything else in all creation. God is not part of creation. Before there was creation, before there was anything, there was God. And God called the universe into existence through His Word. And He said, let there be, and there was. He's not part of the creation. We're not pantheists. We don't believe that. He's separate. He's, there's no one. God's, God says, to whom will you compare me, or who is my equal? There is no one like Him. And so he says, in the same way, you be holy. Be different than those around you. You know, people might talk mean and act in unkind ways or do things that are vulgar or profane. He says, not so with you. Be different than that. Don't take your cues from the rest of the world. He says, be holy because I am holy. You see, we are, when something is holy, what, what it is, is it's like this Bible of mine. To me, this Bible's sort of uncommon. It's not just ordinary for me. You know, you might look at this and think it's just an ordinary Bible. And think, like, why doesn't he get a new one? And I actually do have a new one. I hardly ever open it. But you know what? For me, this Bible's holy because it's uncommon. It's not just ordinary for me. There's something special, something unique. I love how it feels in my hand. I love the fact that I've marked it up, and there's, some, there's part of me in this book now, too. And there are, I hope there's a lot of this book in me. It should work both ways. But it's interesting. When, when, when God makes something holy, then it's, He could take that which is common and make it uncommon. He takes that which is ordinary and he makes it extraordinary. So when we have the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, you know, the wafer and the cup, they become holy in that moment. And God takes that which is common and he sets it apart and he makes it uncommon. And so you've been set apart for God. You are not your own. You belong to God and so be holy in everything you do. And in verse 14, don't worry, I'm cutting this short. As obedient children, he says, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And then the next passage, he says, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. And so he's saying a couple of things here. He's saying that we are obedient to be obedient children to our Father in heaven. Today is Father's Day. 
God is our Father. We are to bear the likeness of our Father. What a privilege it is to bear His likeness, to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus, His Son, because Jesus was the image of God. And then He says, our Father is such that He's going to judge our lives one day. One day you and I will all stand before God, yes, even Christians, and we will give an account. Even Christians, it's in the Bible. And God will judge everybody and everything impartially. And He says, so live your lives in reverent fear. And I know that today the idea of the fear of the Lord is something that people think is Old Testament or old-fashioned. No, it's not true. The fear of the Lord is a New Testament idea, and it's not old-fashioned. And it's kind of interesting. We, it's a paradox. You know what? I, I, we, we are moved by the love of God, but we're also moved in the fear of the Lord. Yeah, and you have to hold those in tension. And here's the point, is God loves me. Yes, He does. But I have to realize that God uh, is owed my reverence. Uh, my, my Father, uh, I know my Father loved me. And you, many of you can say that your father loved you. Maybe some of you can't say that, but I know that my dad loved me, but I also had kind of a reverential fear for my dad. I knew that if I did something bad or if I lied or something like that and my dad found out, yes, I trembled. And that did help me in my life to stay on the straight and narrow. And that's all he's saying here. And so what he's telling us is, spend the rest of your life, I'm editing, by the way, spend the rest of your life with the understanding, I don't, I am not my own, I belong to God, and so I will spend the rest of my days in holiness, um, set apart for Him to do His will. That begins with you, but it doesn't end with you. I want to end with a vision that Ezekiel had. Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel has a vision of the temple of God. You can see a picture of it there, a little drawing. And in this vision, Ezekiel sees water beginning to flow out of the temple. And this water trickles out of the temple, and this trickle of water turns into a stream. And the stream becomes a deep river. And then this deep river begins to flow into the desert. And as it flows into the desert, it brings life and renewal. And there's all kinds of vegetation that crops up in trees in its wake. And then in the vision, he sees this river that has just passed through the desert and brought life and newness to everything around it flowing into the Dead Sea. And then it says that as it flowed into the Dead Sea, it made everything in there fresh and alive, and life began in the Dead Sea. And so here we see the image in Ezekiel's vision of water. This is Ezekiel 47. Of water coming out of the temple. And as it comes out, 
it grows and it makes everything it touches pure. Jesus was the temple of God. John chapter 1, it says that he tabernacled among us. He was God's temple. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. He knew that he was the embodiment of God on earth. He was holy. He was set apart. He said, I did not come to do my will but the will of him who sent me. We should all be able to say the same thing. But Jesus was that temple. But he's also said, and Paul echoes it, you are his temple. You all are God's temple. I am a temple of God. And Jesus one day, on the day of the great feast in Jerusalem, he stood up and he said, the one who believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit had not yet been given, for Christ had not yet been glorified. Jesus had a vision that those who believed in him, those who followed him, would have rivers of water flowing out of their innermost being and out into the lives of others, out of this temple and bringing life and renewal and refreshment and hope to everything and everyone around us. Receive the Holy Spirit. Really, the Holy Spirit has been given. And he is a spirit of renewal. And it is the Holy Spirit of God who makes us holy. It is God's Holy Spirit who sanctifies us and sets us apart. Not just to set us apart, but to actually make us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so here's how I want to end. I'm going to just end by talking about my Bible. This Bible is holy in that it's set apart from other books and other Bibles. This Bible is God's love letter to me, to us. It reminds me that God wants the message of this book to live and breathe inside of me. So that when the message of this book lives and breathes inside of me, then I become a letter from God to the world. And they will read me. They will read my life. That's what it means to be holy. It's to be a letter that is known and read by all people. Become the embodiment of it. Be a book, if you will. Be a temple. And may rivers of living water flow from your innermost being. Because that is the will of God for you and for me. Let's bow our heads, please. Father, I thank you that you have set us apart. You have called us out from the world and you have set us apart. And I pray now, Lord, that every single one of us would, as an act of the will, dedicate ourselves to be holy as you are holy. 
as our heads are bowed in prayer, would you just silently, in your heart, would you say, I am not my own. I belong to you, Lord. And so I dedicate myself now to be holy in all I do. May rivers and streams of living water flow from my inmost being. Holy Spirit, may you fill me to the measure of all the fullness of God. And may you, Holy Spirit, spill out into the lives of those around me. I consecrate myself to you. I set myself apart for you to do your will to accomplish your purposes. Lord, fill me to the measure of the fullness of God. Do it now, Lord. And make me useful in your hands. May I shine my light boldly. May I declare the praises of him who called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I am not my own. I belong to God. I will be holy as you are holy. In Jesus' name. Amen.